um, uh, some of the Muslims that are being converted in the the um, country of Yemen. I don't think we did that last time, did we? Or did we? I don't think so. Um, and also, I know it's on our daily teaching. That's the prayer focus for the month of September. Is that right? Okay, so last month was Yemen, right? Okay, all righty. Okay. So we'll we'll give a couple of updates on that, and then we'll pray. We'll also pray for the naughty girl, Irma. <laughs> she has not been and will not be upgraded. She will be downgraded again, so amen. She can stay right out there in the water where she is, and... Um, I'll get my manual here. Yeah. Praise God. Okay. Thank you, Father, to open our eyes and our understanding, Father, and let us focus on you and what you would have us to know about people who are living today at this moment, what their needs are, and what we can expect you to do for these people. We thank you so much, Lord. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> praise God. I was looking at, um, this is uh I don't think you can see it very well, but this is a picture of the city of Mecca. It's in Saudi Arabia. This is where all the Muslims go. All those little white dots are people bowing to their God. Amen. Worshiping at one time. Great numbers, but no power. And they don't know God. Amen. So for people who get nervous about numbers, you know, this is how to put your mind to rest. God can save by many or by few, but, but many times there's not a whole lot there. Uh, people are just compelled to do what they do, and uh, it's amazing how many people the devil can compel to do certain religious acts that have no significance, there's no power, there's no relating to God, it's just a dry act. And so that is the difference between what we have in the living God, our God is alive, he can talk to you, can answer you back, you can have fellowship with him, he is alive. And so that's that's the edge, amen, it's always the edge that you have. Uh, people, will, uh, I remember <laughs> talking, there was a, a gentleman who tried to sell us a timeshare, uh, and I, we told him in advance, I said, well, we're going to go home and pray about this before we make a decision. Well, you can pray with me. I, I can, we can pray right now. I said, yeah, but can you get an answer? I said, <laughs> pray all you want to, but if you don't get an answer and you don't get one for me, we ain't doing nothing. So so anyway, but, you know, you, you have to understand that the God that we serve being alive can actually help your life, talk to you, lead you, and guide you. So it's amazing. So this story is called The Dangerous Act of Baptism. It says, in a small, dimly lit office in, the middle of, in a Middle Eastern country, Khaled sits quietly on a couch with his hands folded in his lap and scans the room. 
This is where he'll share the darkest memories of his family's lives as Christians in Yemen, a country he and his four children recently fled following the silent martyrdom of his wife, Samira. He's surprisingly calm as he prepares to share the gritty details of his journey out of Islam and the countless incidents of persecution his family experienced as a result. He knows there's a purpose to the pain he and his children still feel today. When I think about our story, the only thing I can think is that God is preparing us for something bigger, to serve him, 48-year-old Colette said, smiling. It is in layer after layer of persecution that he changes us to be like him. The student of Islam, a student of Islam. Khaled's story of persecution begins where his faith in Islam ended. On the morning of September 11, 2001, Khaled led the call to prayer at his mosque in Yemen. Doubts about his father's strict Wahhabism had already left cracks in his Muslim faith. Later that day, when Islamic terrorists crashed, crashed hijacked planes into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania, his Islamic faith collapsed into a pile of rubble. Khaled watched in horror as the shocking images recycled endlessly on a TV in a local cafe. The cheers of Muslims sitting nearby sickened him. I was really upset and sad, he recalled. 3,000 people were killed. I thought, what kind of religion is that? Khaled immediately decided to leave Islam. For the most part, Islam was all he had known. Born in Yemen in 1969, Khaled spent his formative years in Saudi Arabia. His father, an imam, favored Khaled over his other children because of his intellect. He even let Khaled lead him in prayer as they walked around the Kaaba in Mecca, Islam's holiest site. Khaled, who had always been taught that Christians were morally inferior, began questioning Islam after realizing that the Koran validated his father's poor treatment, including beatings of his mother. This angered Khaled. I knew by criticizing my father's actions, I was criticizing Islam, he recalled. After his father died, Khaled temporarily walked away from Islam. In 1990, his family returned to Yemen, where his Muslim faith was replaced for the next four years with involvement in, in the Yemeni Socialist Party. However, his mother's death some years later prompted a reexamination of his life, resulting in a return to Islam, this time as a Shiite. But he didn't fully abandon his socialist beliefs. In 1997, the year he married Samira, Khaled's thoughts were turned to Jesus by an unlikely source. While reading a socialist newspaper, he came across a reference to John 8, 7. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. The words of Jesus shattered his misconceptions about Christianity, much as the September 11th terrorist attacks would ultimately demolish his concept of Muhammad and faith in Islam. Khaled supported his family by teaching Islamic studies and Arabic at a high school in Yemen, but he couldn't stop thinking about Jesus' words in John 8, 7. Later that year, Samira's uncle gave Khaled some books he no longer wanted, including the Gospel of Matthew. He quickly read the text and eventually began to discuss Christ's teachings with his students. 
Meanwhile, he hoped to find a, co- a copy of the full Bible. Then one night, a student at Khalid's, uh, of Khalid saw him at a gas station. The boy eagerly told him that a new Christian radio program broadcast in Yemeni dialect had claimed that Jesus is God's son. Khaled rushed home, found an old radio, and climbed onto his roof to listen to the program in secret. Khaled was in awe as he sat under the stars listening to biblical teaching on forgiveness and love. He trembled with excitement as he heard about Jesus' love for him in his own dialect. I thought I was the only one who was considering Christianity, he said, so finding other Yemenis who were already Christians shocked me. Every night at 10.30 p.m., Khaled could be found on his roof. The more he listened to the program, the more questions he had. He eventually texted questions to the program's host and later called by phone for a deeper conversation about Christianity. After weeks of discussions, he prayed with one of the hosts over the phone and placed his faith in Jesus as his Savior. The next morning, Khaled woke up feeling like a new man. I felt like all the colors were different and the trees looked different, he said. I felt like a different person. I was a monster before that night. I was surprised at how much I changed. Despite his excitement, Khaled kept his conversion secret even from his wife. Christian converts in Yemen face intense persecution from family members, villagers, and the government. Several converts are killed each year, and those who aren't killed face ongoing persecution and discrimination. Today, the church in Yemen is essentially invisible, with only a few thousand secret believers living there. Khaled secretly obtained a Bible and continued to grow by reading God's word. He also became increasingly aware of how much he needed Jesus. I had a spiritual emptiness in me, he said. When I was a Muslim, I thought that socialism would fill my emptiness. When my mother died, I thought Shiite Islam would fill me. Eventually, the teachings of Christ and the Bible filled that void. Khaled soon joined several friends in a regular Bible study in a nearby city, but his frequent trips concerned Samira. She finally confronted him, worrying that he had found another wife. I love you, Khaled told her tearfully, but I have become a Christian. Are you an infidel, she asked. No, but I love Jesus, he said. Khaled then shared how Jesus had changed his life and how he could change hers, too. Samira had noticed changes in her husband, including how he treated her and her parents, but she didn't know what or who had inspired the changes. After learning the truth, she also accepted Christ. Although Khaled and Samira stopped attending mosque with their four children, they kept their Christian faith secret. They knew they could be killed for leaving Islam. After two years of following Jesus, however, they decided to go public. When members of Khaled's Bible study asked him if he would like to be baptized in the port city of Aden, Khaled felt ready to declare his Christian faith. He brought Samira and their children with him to Aden, and on the spot, Samira also decided to be baptized. Her decision to die to herself spiritually would ultimately lead to her physical death as well. In December 2012, members of the Muslim Brotherhood obtained pictures of Samira's baptism and posted them on a Facebook page targeting evangelists in Yemen. Let's see, Facebook allows that kind of stuff. 
see what I'm saying? They're always trying to shut Christians down. But they'll let them in these Muslim countries post and then threaten to kill people just because they're Christians. Days later, DVDs that included the baptism photos, the family's address, the address of Colette's school were distributed in the village. Colette was called the big evangelist in the DVD. At work, Colette's fellow teachers began calling him an infidel. Then one morning as he tutored a student before a student uh, before school, another teacher threw a large rock at Colette, hitting him in the back. Two others then started beating him and another threatened to kill him. Co-workers who were once his friends did nothing to help. Although the beatings and death threats initially crippled Colette with fear, over time they served to strengthen his faith. He came to realize that God had allowed these circumstances in order to build his courage. Reflecting on his walk with Christ, Colette saw consistent evidence of God's refining work. What I was afraid of in 2004, I was not afraid of in 2005, he said. What I was afraid of in 2007, I wasn't afraid of in 2009. After the attack at school, Colette's troubles continued. Angry Muslims smashed the windows of his car, slashed his tires. Villagers frequently threw rocks at his house, and someone poisoned his dog and her three puppies. In 2013, the persecution grew even more intense. One day, as Samira walked down a busy street, Colette's 22-year-old nephew approached her and pulled off her headscarf in front of a large crowd, a great shame in Yemeni culture. The nephew then beat her, breaking her arm, and dragged her down the street before leaving her crying and bleeding in the dirt. Colette tried to file a police report, but the police said his wife deserved the beating because she is a Christian. That was the worst year for us, Colette said, sighing. The persecution soon began to affect their children, too. Their son and three daughters were emotionally and verbally abused at school, with one teacher telling them that all Christians burn in hell. Now, we got teachers telling Christian kids that kind of stuff now in this country. They'll tell them, uh, you can't wear this, you can't say that. You know, if you vote for Trump, they tell you you're a racist and all this kind of stuff. It's the same devil, folks. The same one that gets the Muslim, gets the one that's antichrist here. All of the same, the same devil, same spirit. You should be free to believe what you want to believe with nobody hindering you and what you do. Making judgment against you. The children often came home crying. In early 2014, they were receiving regular death threats and growing weary of the endless persecution. When I realized that everybody had been turning against us, even our closest friends and neighbors, I started to get afraid again, Colette admitted. Looking to flee Yemen, Colette contacted a Christian friend in another country and made plans for his family to move at the end of the school year. His plans were tragically altered, however, before they could leave. On the morning of June 9, 2014, Colette was awakened by his son shaking him. Father, father, mother is on fire in the kitchen, his son cried. Colette jumped out of bed, ran to the kitchen, and saw his beloved wife engulfed in flames. He struggled to extinguish the fire to remove Samir's clothing as it burned her flesh. 
while their daughter shrieked at the sight of their mother's suffering, their son tried to help smother the flames. He suffered burns on his inner thighs and one of his arms. Once the fire was out, Khaled rushed Samira to the hospital. Khaled later learned that someone had poured gasoline into Samira's jar of cooking oil. Neighbors told him they had seen a man dressed as a woman breaking into the house a few days earlier. Khaled thinks it could have been his nephew or another relative. At the hospital, Samira's doctor determined she had third-degree burns over the upper half of her body. As hospital staff became aware of her Christian faith, the level of care she received diminished. Her nurse stopped changing her bandages, and her doctor forced Colette to buy Samira's medicine from the pharmacy with his own money. The hospital also sent an imam to Samira's room to read the Koran and pressure them to return to Islam. By June 25th, Khaled had had enough. He told Samira's doctor he was going to move her to another hospital so she could receive care. No, no, we will not take care of her now, the doctor assured him. He then told Khaled to buy a vial of a drug that in, included potassium. This will heal her wounds, he told Khaled. When Khaled requested the vial, the pharmacist asked him how it was to be used. After Khaled told him, the pharmacist called the doctor and argued with him about the drug, but the doctor had the final word. The doctor injected Samir with the vial's contents, and Khaled prayed and talked with his wife briefly before stepping outside to let her rest. When he returned two hours later, she was dead. She was 33 years old. After sharing this memory with us in a dimly lit office, Khaled paused as if holding on to those final precious moments with his wife. He then told us about the surprising final words Samira spoke to him. Before she died, she told Khaled that she had forgiven everyone who had persecuted them, including the man responsible for her burns. While no one knows the exact contents of the last injection she received, high doses of potassium chloride, the drug ordered by Samira's doctor, are lethal in injections Oh, are, in, are used in lethal injections to stop the heart. The drug could be available in a pharmacy, however, to be used in low doses as a potassium supplement. It does appear as if the doctor intentionally killed Samira, the voice of the martyr worker said. Most likely, the doctor did not want her to live because she had left Islam. After Samira died, villagers tried to discredit her and Khaled by spreading false rumors that she had set herself on fire because Khaled refused to let her return to Islam. Students from Khaled's school even told him they had heard that he was the one who tampered with the cooking oil. While admitting that it didn't come easy, Khaled said, by God's grace, he has forgiven those who persecuted his family. A year ago, he made it public in his Facebook post. Everyone who persecuted me verbally with their actions by encouraging others to persecute me uh, any way, direct or indirect, I forgive you. On August 14, 2014, Khaled and his children finally left Yemen. Voice of the Martyr helped uh, cover their remaining medical bills and relocation uh, expenses. Although they have left the region where they suffered so much, Khaled said he and his children continue to mourn Samira's death. We are a team that is playing with the shortage of a very key player, he said. We don't have a goalie. I'm on offense, but we need someone on defense. We are really tired. 
Khaled earns a small income by teaching Arabic to refugee children using passages of scripture to build their vocabulary. The family continues to experience persecution in their new majority Muslim country, even though it has a sizable Christian community. They have faced housing discrimination. The police have harassed him for carrying a Bible, and his daughters are bullied at school. One teacher slapped his elder daughter for being a Christian. Khaled is currently seeking asylum for his family in another country, and while waiting for resettlement, he reaches out to family members and former students in Yemen through social media. Many have requested Bibles, and some have come to faith in Christ. As he recalls his life in Yemen with Samira, Khaled sees how God used each layer of persecution to shape their faith, grow their courage, and reveal his goodness and love through them. For that, he is grateful. In fact, Khaled praises God for everything his family has endured, knowing that God continues to use their pain for his purposes. For example, his brother-in-law, who once angrily debated religion with Khaled online, recently finished a discussion by saying, May the Lord Jesus Christ bless you. Moments like this encourage Khaled to continue sharing the gospel despite his broken heart. By losing everything, he has gained a much greater eternal perspective. Praise the Lord for what has happened, Khaled said, because right now I have nothing to lose. Amen? So, praise God. Amen. Praise God. This is a picture of him and his three children. They don't show their faces. Yeah, pass it around, Noah. Yeah, they don't show their faces for obvious reasons, but you can see how social media, you know, when you go on these these social media things, lift up Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. It's it's serious out there. <laughs> we may think we live in a bubble where we can't be harmed or persecuted, but you just step out and start doing something for God for real and see if what the devil will send your way, you know. I mean, I know the majority of Christians are pew sitters, much to, you know, much to their, you know, whatever. But you start doing things that lift up Jesus and start hitting some of this persecution and stuff and see what comes your way. So it's always good to share Christ with people first and foremost. That's your first job is to uh, share Christ, you know, and getting a new dress and showing everybody on Facebook really ain't that important. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Somebody out there is dying for truth. And uh, amen. People, People always say, God told me I'm called to the nations. I say, do you have a Facebook account? There's your nations right there. You have to get a plane ticket and go anywhere. Just send somebody, send somebody a scripture or some kind of a blessing. You know, it doesn't have to be all of that. You know, that's your nations right there. Get on there and lift up Jesus and uh, everything will be fine. Uh, let me see. <clears throat> I'll read this one. This one is from India, pretty sure. Trying to see if I want to tell you about. I think this Anisha, uh, she has a short testimony here. It says, what is the current state of the church in India? Let me tell you about 23-year-old Anisha. Isn't she pretty? 
Those beautiful teeth kill for them. Her skin is so beautiful. It says uh, 20 members of the radical Hindu group Rashatira, whatever the RSS are the the um, initials, charged into her family's house, disrupted their prayer meeting, and dragged her father and their pastor outside before beating them severely. But the petite young woman did not run and hide. Instead, Anisha pushed through the angry mob of Hindu nationalists and boldly stood up for her 54-year-old father, Bandu. The RSS was accusing her father and the pastor of forcibly converting Hindus to Christianity. Like they don't do that. And since Anisha had, I guess they can, but we can't. And since Anisha had led her father and the rest of her family to Jesus, she felt the weight of responsibility for his beating. She had to stand up for both her earthly father and her Lord. It is our faith, Anisha uh, yelled at the angry mob. Why do you want to interfere in this? We believe what we want to believe. Let go. Shocked at such boldness from a woman, the men scolded Anisha. Although they released her father, they grabbed her 27-year-old brother Deepak in his, in his place. After forcing Deepak and the pastor into the car, they drove them to the village police station. Fearful of a beating, Deepak signed a false statement that his father and pastor had forcibly converted Hindus to Christianity. Anisha, who had followed them to the station, urged her brother to retract his false statement, which he eventually did. A policeman then tore up Deepak's confession and let him go. As Anisha shared her story with Voice of the Martyr workers, she admitted her fears but also displayed a peaceful joy. Her smile, as seen in the photo on the facing page, captures her courageous spirit. In many ways, Anisha is a reflection of the church in India. Like the church composed of 27 million Christians in a country of 1.3 billion, she is small but fearless, persecuted but joyful, concerned about the future but determined to remain faithful. And like her family, the church in India is angering enemies of the gospel with its boldness and influence. Under Prime Minister Modi, Hindu nationalists seeking a pure Hindu India have increased their persecution of Christians and other non-Hindus. Christians in India, however, say their real challenge is not persecution, but keeping up with the demand for discipleship and training. The beatings have become so routine that they view them as a normal part of following Christ. In Matthew it said, blessed are those who have been persecuted in my name. Anisha said, we have been blessed a lot and my faith has grown. I've learned so much after this. Bandu said his faith also has grown through experiencing God's promises amid persecution. After the persecution, I knew this, there, this was the greater work of God. In everything, whatever I do, there is a blessing. Anisha reflects not only on the attitude of the Indian church, but also the attitude of believers like you. Instead of leaving her brother and pastor to suffer alone in jail, she boldly intervened on their behalf, just as you do through your prayers and your gifts. Voice of the Martyr equips and encourages Christians like Anisha as they share the gospel, and your prayers give them boldness and strength. Amen. So, yeah, that's Miss Anisha. 
she refused to shut up. Went down, went down to the popo. I got her brother out of there. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> let me see. Let me see. Let me see. How? Do, which one of these do I want to? I'll read something about how the persecution that the government, <clears throat> India's, uh, this is about India's intensified quest for a purely Hindu nation. India's leaders want a purely Hindu nation, and they are ready to reconvert or drive out all Christians in the country to achieve their goal. Indian Prime Minister uh, Naharinda Modi is a staunch supporter of Hindu Hindutva, a pervasive nationalistic ideology that calls for a completely Hindu India. The present prime minister is completely aware of everything happening to the Christians, a voice of the martyr workers said in India. His silence is his message to the present ruling party and their allies to continue persecuting the Christians. Sworn into office on May 26, 2014, Modi rose to power, promising to reduce corruption and boost India's economy. And while he has further opened India's doors to Western politicians and businesses, he has also quietly clamped down on Christianity's presence and influence inside the country. Modi and his supporters are determined to carry out their hidden plan in camouflage manners, the voice of the martyr worker added. It would be great foolishness to believe that these incidents are not tied to the prime minister. Today, an estimated 27 million Christians live in India, making up 2.2% of the population. While it is truly a minority religion, the church's numbers and influence continue to grow. About 169 million people, or nearly 13%, follow Islam, another perceived threat to the desired Hindu purity. And about a billion in the country's 1.3 billion, or 81%, are Hindu. Modi is a longtime member of the BJP party, which adopted Hindutva as its official belief system in 1989. The Rasharita, RSS, a volunteer Hindu nationalist organization, is BJP's parent organization and enforcer of Hindutva throughout the country. Modi is also a longtime RSS member and the organization's membership has reportedly increased 20% since he became prime minister. The group now boasts more than 5 million members. Although Modi has publicly said his government will not tolerate religious discrimination, his actions prove otherwise. Vague policies such as anti-conversion bills opposing the conversion of Hindus to other religions have passed in several Indian states and the push for similar federal law is gaining support. The state anti-conversion laws have long been used against pastors, church planters, and evangelists. Conversely, reconversion ceremonies known as garwapsi or homecoming that seek to return Indians to Hinduism have become increasingly common. Voice of martyr workers in India say Hindu nationalists are becoming bolder in their persecution of Christians, largely because Christians are peaceful and, quote, don't fight back. Churches have been demolished or burned. Worship gatherings have been disrupted. Crosses and graveyards have been vandalized. Bibles and other Christian literature have been confiscated or burned, and more pastors are being beaten and jailed. 
Despite an increase in these attacks on believers, Christians generally are not represented in the news media. The Indian government is suppressing all forms of Christian missionary, social, and charitable work. Christian charities like Compassion International that have served the poor in India for decades have been forced out. The government also is working to devalue Christian holidays in India. In 2014, it established Good Governance Day to be celebrated on the same day as Christians celebrate Great Christmas worldwide. The holiday celebrates the birthday of a former prime minister who had led the BJP. Nationalism is being used as a cover. Another voice of the martyr worker in India said, many institutions of the nation which acted as checks and balances are weakened. Two years into his term, Modi enjoys unprecedented support in the Indian parliament and from state governments. His popularity was seen most recently in the political rise of Yogi Adityanath, an extremist Hindu priest who was elected chief minister of Uttar Pradesh, the country's most populous state. Described as a Hindu Hindutva firebrand, he participated in a purification drive in 2005 that forcibly converted 1,800 Christians to uh, Hinduism. He has publicly declared that he won't stop the reconversions until all of India is Hindu. In 2014, flyers with Atayant's picture were distributed in Uttar Pradesh pronouncing a three-year effort to eradicate Christianity from the state. The flyers also call for mass Garwapsi ceremonies in December 23rd. Another flyer warned that all churches in the state will be converted to Hindu temples within the next three years. According to the flyer, 60 churches have already been converted. Despite the persecution, Christians in India continue to love their enemies, pray for their persecutors, and follow Jesus throughout through it all. In India, Voice of Martyr continues to support frontline workers, assist families of martyrs, and provide medical help for those injured in attacks. We also help provide Bibles to new believers. It is true persecution is increasing in India, but that's not the whole story. Persecution is a result of the gospel going out, and we should celebrate the fact that today, more than ever, Indians are coming to know Christ. Of course, persecution will increase, but let's not let that upstage what God is doing in the foreground of this story, expanding his kingdom in India. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And I got you one more testimony. It says, Jonathan Eekman, Voice of Martyr, Vice President of International Ministries, often tells the story of an Indian evangelist who had determined to a, a, had a determined approach to evangelism. When asked about his work, the evangelist said, Brother, I ride my bicycle into a, vi- a village and I bang my drum. The people come out and I share the gospel. Sometimes they accept the gospel and form a church. Other times they beat me. When I wake up, I get on my bicycle and ride to the next village. Today, the church in India is experiencing massive growth. There is a unique openness and interest in the gospel right now, said Voice of the Martyr, Regional Director for South Asia. 
After centuries of Hinduism and its caste system, Indians are ready for the hope and freedom that come through knowing Christ. And God has been preparing thousands of workers, such as the brother who bangs his drum to boldly share his good news. As God's kingdom expands in India, persecution of Christians also increases. When nationalistic Hindu extremists see that they are losing the hearts of the people, they push harder. More Christians are beaten, more church services interrupted, more church buildings are burned down, more pastors are imprisoned, and more Christians are forced to reconvert to Hinduism or flee their homes. Yet what we see from our Indian brothers and sisters is continued boldness and faithfulness. And as these believers continue to fulfill God's great commission, Voice of the Martyr stands with them and provides the tools they need to continue their kingdom work. For those who go from village to village sharing the gospel, we provide Bibles, tracts, and even drums for worship. For brothers and sisters who are injured in violent attacks, we help with medical expenses and offer prayer and encouragement. And for those who have lost family members, Voice of Martyr provides housing and education expenses for their children. God is at work in India. It's exciting, yet it comes at a price. Praise God for his faithful, for the faithful witness of his saints in India. And so this is their prayer request. They're praying that God would meet every need of their people as the, and that they would remain faithful, the Christians who are there. So here's a picture. It looks like it's maybe a burned out church, and they've just set up another one. They're worshiping God outside. So, hey, praise God. They haven't stopped and passed that around to save us. Yep. Yep. So, you know, God, you don't need a building to worship God. You know, you can worship him anywhere and um, just allow God to do what he wants to do. So uh, those are our our, um, testimonies and our requests and uh, information that we need to pray fully for for these persecuted individuals. Uh, We know that North Korea is the most persecuted nation uh, it it still is, but we believe God. Amen. There's, amen. Amen. The gospel is never bound. The word of God says the gospel is always free. You can't hinder the gospel because it's God's mandate to come in for the gospel to come into the earth. One way or another, the gospel will get preached. And so God will get his truth out. Just like the, the man found that one scripture. Uh, one scripture reference uh, in in the knowledge of God, he got curious about that one, and from that he got enough information to you know accept Christ. So we never uh, underestimate the power of God's word uh, or the power of prayer for God to soften people's hearts so that they can hear Him and be converted. So if you all will pray in the Spirit, I'll pray in the understanding, and we'll put these needs before God. Those individuals in Yemen and the ones in India, we will focus on. Um, Those of you who have the uh, protection against persecution, prayer, uh, let me just hold on for a minute. Uh, Write down Prime Minister Modi and silence his voice and, uh, you know, ask God to take his power away from him. Uh, He doesn't need to be in power if he's trying to force people to. 
you know, India was getting to be a pretty advanced country. People were living well there. Some of their uh, capitals, you know, people are have good businesses there, and, and the people are living. Their standard of living is being elevated. And I know it's because of the light of the gospel in that nation. It doesn't happen without God's favor on a country. And so we're asking God to remove him, convert him, or remove him, uh, but stop him from uh, persecuting God's people and trying to convert people and force them into being Hindus. He he doesn't have authority to do that. So we thank God that, that um, you know, we have authority over all the works of darkness, every single one of them. doesn't matter who's doing it. We have authority over it. So amen. So, Father in heaven, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your believers in Yemen and your believers in India. And we speak to this uh, spirit over that, that uh, government, over the highest seat of government in India, the prime minister's seat. And we curse the works of darkness over that seat of authority in the name of Jesus. We declare that their prime minister, we just command his words to fall to the ground, that his plans would be confounded and confused to take Christianity out of that nation and to make it an all-Hindu nation. We refuse it, we resist it, and we thank you, Lord, to increase the gospel message in India. Let the people get free to choose their own God and let the gospel be preached freely in that nation once again. I thank you, Father, for freedom of worship. I thank you, Lord, for freedom to hear uh, the words of the Bible and the gospel of the living God, that they have a chance to serve the living God, Father. And we thank you for that. Let the gospel be freely preached in India and in Yemen in the name of Jesus. We break your power, Satan. We your power of intimidation, we break it in the name of Jesus. Your power of persecution, we break it in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father, that your people would submit to you, resist the devil, and he must flee. We command the enemy to flee seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. We resist retaliation against our accusers. And I thank you, Lord, that the people in this persecuted nation's will resist retaliation against their accusers. They are serving you. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold their threatening, Lord. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Father, we declare that the way of the ungodly will perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, we ask you to judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our integrity that's within us. Let the mischief of those who persecute these people return upon their own head. Keep us and your people as the apple of the eye. Hide them under the shadow of your wings. Thank you for teaching their hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in our arms. Thank you that you have given all Christians the necks of their enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies and their threats against your people. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against your people without a cause and who hate us. It is time for you to work, Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know that it's nothing for you to help. 
Help us, O Lord our God. O save us according to your mercy. Let your hands prosper and prevail against your enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one, and therefore our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And Father, we thank you and we know that those who live godly will suffer persecution. But Father, it will not be unto the death. We thank you, Lord, that they will not die, but they will live and declare the works of the Lord. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. We praise you. And we honor you. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray against destruction. We thank you, Father. We break the curse of early death and we declare long life. We bind you upon and murder, suicide, alcohol, drug abuse, intoxication, infirmity, disability, arthritis, blindness, deafness, files, and natural disasters. We bind the, the power of hurricanes and we thank you, Father. We bind the fear of death of familiar spirits, denial and lying. We break the power of destruction, of injury, of accidents, infirmity. We close up all weakness. We bind retaliation and terrorist spirit and the lawless spirit. We say no looting will happen in these places where people have left their homes. That they will come back in peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. We pray against accidents towards your people, near misses by aircraft. We bind foolishness, folly, and religious retaliation. We declare, declare your glory goes before us and is our rear guard. Lord, we thank you. Give your angels charge over us. They'll hold us up. We will not die, but we will live and declare the works of the Lord. I say when the enemy comes in like a flood, your spirit will raise up a standard against him. We break the power of witchcraft, impulsiveness, pour judgment over athletes. We bind the gladiator spirit and divination. Thank you that people will run this race with patience and finish the course. We will not die, but we will live and declare the works of the Lord in Jesus' name. And we thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And we speak to you, Hurricane Irma, and we call you nothing in the name of Jesus. We call you down from your threatening, from your exalted place. We bind all the words spoken that you will destroy things in Jesus' name. We bind up the words of the forecasters. We bind up the words of fear, putting fear into the hearts of the people. We say that God's people are safe everywhere that they go. I thank you, Lord, to raise up a standard against the enemy that's trying to destroy our nation and destroy our people. And we thank you, Father, for putting an end to this destruction right now. In the name of Jesus, we say Irma will never reach land in this nation. We say that she will be diverted and go back into the sea in the name of Jesus. We re re command her to go out into the water. We relegate her to the water in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for sparing this nation, sparing the people. We call you good, and you will do good things in our midst. And we thank you that you are a good God. And we bless you for only giving us good. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. God is great. God is good. Amen.
He's worthy to be praised. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised. Worthy to be adored. Worthy to be honored, glorified, and magnified, and exalted. We lift you up, Jesus. We're not lifting up Irma. We lift you up, Father. We thank you, Lord. We lift you up, Jesus. In all of your majesty and all of your glory. Visit our nation again, Father. Spare our nation destruction. We thank you, Father. All of the people who are egging this on and looking forward to it happening, we put shame on them right now in the name of Jesus. We command that spirit not to exalt itself anymore. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for a good report out of Florida. Thank you, Lord, for a good report out of Cuba. People in Cuba need relief. Thank you, Lord, for a good report, a good report on all of these areas that have been targeted. We thank you for a good report, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So we'll expect a good report. Amen. Let's keep thanking God for that. Praise God. Praise God. Just want to put on some music if anybody needs prayer. And come on up and get prayer. Amen. Praise God. I just need some true worshipers to stand to your feet right here. Come on. Praise God. Oh, do you have a bash? 